friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my salty sea dog, bed humping, constantly farting, and seagull fearing co-host and friend, Alex Dandino. Ye. It's I. It's not sir. It's I. I. Ye dog. <laughs> okay. So, guys, we are here with you. This is the end of the month. Again, thank you for all your suggestions uh, for stocking stuff for movies. I think we had a good batch this year. If we didn't get to you, we're sorry. Just know that all those movies are still on a list, and we will get to them someday. Uh, also, guys, thank you for joining us for Rise of Skywalker here and on our other podcast, The Long Box Sessions. I think we had – I thought we would get attacked a lot harder – uh, but yeah, for the most part, I think the worst critique we got was someone's like, I enjoyed listening to it, although I disagreed with every word you yeah. said. <laughs> Pretty much everything you said was wrong, great but review. you know, Disney sucks and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That, other than that, it was great. But as long as you like it and you have fun with us, that's great. Yeah. Uh, while you're here, guys, if you enjoy the show, please take a second to leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple podcasts <laughs> helps us out enormously. Share us on your social media feeds with all your friends. Also, you can find us on YouTube at Nerd Alchemist, the Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. Uh, if you want to see the beautiful faces that match these uh, voices, ye old salty dogs. Yeah. All right. Now, me and Alex had an idea. We're kind of jumping out of our normal Thursday release schedule. As we got to talk and we wanted to send us off, close 2020 out with a bang. This was a really good year for us in the show. So we thought, what a better way to close uh, this year, this month, this decade. Then by top, we each picked the one movie we wish we had covered when it was happening from this year. And that was the only rules. Which movie did you wish we would have gotten to talk about? That was it. So I picked one and Alex picked one. You'll get them both today. So my pick uh, was The Lighthouse. I adore this movie. It's kind of a perfectly crafted movie for me. I love movies that challenge me to do most of the writing myself. So I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I love Edgar's work since The Witch. This was a really just excellent, powerful follow-up. So that's what we're going to talk about first. Alex, what did you pick? Uh, I picked uh, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Uh, when it came out, I was really excited about it. Anything Taika Waititi does that's not Marvel-related is always just the best movie I saw that year, uh, whether that's Hunt for the Wilder People, What We Do in Shadows, like – even as far back as Eagle versus Shark, I, I love the guy's work. I think he's a wonderful director, uh, and particularly now he's uh, he's probably at the height of his power. And Jojo Rabbit is the best risk to take. Uh, I, I can't wait to talk about it. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, you have to have such a deep reservoir of love from people to be able to make that movie. You really do. So I yeah, mean, I'm really excited. I because I I was one of those movies that kind of came and went. I live in the Midwest, so we don't get as many like wide releases as everyone else. Right. <laughs> but I was glad you forced me to get out and see it. This is actually the last week it was in theaters, so it was serendipitous, and it was a uh, a fucking phenomenal movie. Yeah. Also, Taika Waititi just doing the finale of the Mandalorian. Like, yeah, take I a mean, break, that, guy. I mean that that's take like a break. icing on the cake again. Like he's just <laughs> he's at the height of his powers right now, and I think he's one of the one of the best directors we get the pleasure of getting to see make movies right all right guys so that's what this is uh we hope you like it so let's start off first with my superior pick the lighthouse <laughs> yes the truly greatest movie of the year except for midsomar which we already covered so we're robert, doing the lighthouse the second robert best movie of the year. back at it yeah 
Alex, I know this was your first viewing today. Because uh, when I watched it today, I was kind of like trying to polish up and find like the little nooks and crannies I want to get into. I want your hot off the presses. What did you think of this movie the moment it ended? Well, I'm going to tell you, th- I want you to understand the scenario in which I watched this film. Uh, because it actually reminded me quite of the experience <laughs> Robert Pattinson had of being in this movie. Uh, his character, uh, his character uh, Ephraim or Thomas. I woke up with my kid this morning at 4.30. He went back to sleep mm. for an hour, and then I woke up again at 5.30 with him. We went downstairs, and I made his bottle, and we started eating, and I'm like, I'm going to watch the movie. Like, I'm going to watch the movie while he quietly eats in my arms. And as we were watching the movie, I'm like, I'm not sure this was the right movie to watch while holding my child, but nevertheless, yeah. I'm tired. I'm a little delirious. This is the right mood I should be in to be watching this movie. Uh, right. <laughs> it was so fascinating. Like, honestly, it was just like, it was I, it, Robert Eggers is a great director and uh, it was so much fun to really see like him do like probably some of the most stylistic work I've seen in a long time from a like a director. Like this is shot in a very specific aspect ratio. I think it's 119 by one, 119 to one, which was like what they shot Nosferatu in like and it has like a really yeah. specific it has like a really specific look to it. Um it was so weird and so fundamentally strange at the end. I was just sort of sitting there and like, all right, well let's unpack all of that and uh, start from scratch. Yeah. Cause like, that's really kind of what the movie implores you to do. I, but I, I really enjoyed it. It was cool. Yeah. I think the fascinating thing for me today when I sat down to watch it is I thought kind of, I was like, all right, now I'm prepared for this movie. So I've got it. Like, now I'm going to go in and I'm going to dominate this film and I'm going to find all the, right. the easy answers that I just missed the first time, right? Right. Uh, not the case, man. The, even the second time I watched it, I felt stranded on an island waiting for help to arrive that never came. Yeah. You never quite are able to set your feet. Uh, the movie does a bunch of narrative tricks to make sure that even the most nimble-minded viewer right who's really in for the cause and we're really going to try to dive in i don't think you can ever say definitively what happens in this movie they have the built-in concept yeah that all of this reality is kind of subjective and everyone knows that's josh griffey porn if i walk away from a movie and i'm like did any of that really happen that's my all-time like catnip i can't resist it and this might be the ultimate version but I think that's what's fun about this movie is I think that the marketing of this movie did it a bit of a disservice because a lot of the trailers I saw, they made it seem like it was some form of horror movie, which I think you could make a pretty good argument that it truly is, but yeah. not if you get the people who see a horror movie trailer and they're like, I'm in for that. Right. I don't think this is the movie they were hoping for all of my brother who I went and saw it with, but this movie gets back because we, you know, this is what we talked about too. Like some of the scariest movies when you start to get to our age are just the stripping down of these kind of comforts we have, right? Sure. So what I like a lot about this movie is Willem Dafoe has that great line where he's like, it's a nor'easter. It blows hard. You know nothing. And he's like, you know, we don't have trees here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I thought of this movie, right? Is it puts you on this rock 
and it's just an all-out visual and auditory assault, and there are no fucking buffers to make you feel protected. Yeah. I think the movie does a wonderful job of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best part about the movie is not only does it strand Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe on this rock, everyone is stranded. It does not matter who or what you are. You are stranded in the story. So, like, you're... Right. Like, well, it's like that great shot where they're both staring right down the barrel of the lens, right? Yeah. Just watching us. This happens, like, the first two minutes, and then you the cutaway is, oh, the boat's leaving. But it's like they're staring at us, like... You're here with us now, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, prepare yourself. Well, and it's interesting because so much of it is so much of the way the movie is shot. Like, it feels very it feels very old, but the camera movement is very um, like the camera movement is very like 21st century. But the camera look is so old that like when they stand still or when things are very still in the frame, to me, it feels almost like someone's literally like cranking the box. Like, if, if you've ever seen the movie, uh, uh shadow the vampire about making the nosferatu movie every time like that <laughs> right. shot particularly where they're just standing there i could just like hear uh after murnau and the guy who's like rolling the camera just like cranking it in the background like it's very specific <laughs> jack black and king kong just running and he doing the little scooby <laughs> spin of right the right camera. yeah no i i mean i guess that's a question we could start with is what do, i think the frame rate is the 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 frame size right it just felt fairly gimmicky and unreasonable to me at the start i was like why do this to your movie it doesn't add anything but what i think it does to me now that i've had a little gap from i think originally you're just like why am i watching this in this way right (laughs) right because it's one of those movies that shot so beautifully yeah i was like expand that bitch out you know, and it's it's a weird movie, too, where there are very few, it feels like, wide shots, right? Like, expanse. They do that cutaway a couple times. You're like, you see an ocean and a storm, and you see, like, the little dot of the lighthouse and the island. Yeah. But that kind of is an ethereal shot, too, that makes it look otherworldly, right? There are very few just, hey, the camera's way over here, and you can get a sense of what's happening. Well, So I guess you don't need that extra width, but, but it does add a claustrophobia to it, I thought. Right. I mean, I think that's when like, I was watching it today. That is one thousand percent. Like, not only is it supposed to be that way, I think to evoke a certain uh, vibe from you, like or like for like mm-hmm. to put you in the right mindset, but it is one thousand percent meant to make everything seem more claustrophobic. Like that is like yeah, that is so important to like because it's it's a two hander. <laughs> like that's it. Like you just have these two guys like doing the movie. So like you don't really need to know a lot else and like. I feel like if this was I'm trying to think of like, I feel like if this was like about the Island itself, then maybe it would be a little different. And like, like if this was like the lighthouse directed by Terrence Malick, this would be all shot in wides, but like so much of this yeah, right. feels like it's like on a set. Like, I think that's probably the craziest thing is like, even though like these guys were really uh, in like legit conditions, so much of the way things are framed and the way things look feel like they're on a set. So it's really kind of, um, I, I don't know. It feels very, it feels very old yet. It is very, um, I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like just the mindset you're in watching the movie is very important because of the way it's, uh, because of the way it's shot. Yeah. Well, I think what they do too, is they do a great job of all of our outside movements are kind of, just ways to set us up for the then camera to rush in 
and put us in a moment of surreal kind of terror yeah. and you feel extra trapped you're like fuck i can breathe for a second right Whoosh. or it's a wide shot but it's pouring rain so there's still something oppressing these guys right right <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, start breaking this down a little bit sorry i'm still sick guys so bear with me uh what do you make of the mermaid idol right this is one of the first things we see rob pattinson comes in he finds the bed there's a little hole in it right yeah. Immediately, I'm like, don't put your fingers in that. Don't put your fingers in there. He does. And turns out there was more than the former second matey inside the mattress. Right. There was a mermaid idol. Let's walk through. What did you make of the mermaid idol figure and the purpose it served in this movie? I mean, to me, the purpose of the purpose of the mermaid idol and like really in general, any type of trinket in the movie is to um, clue you into what I think is probably the more interesting part about the movie, which is like, um, besides the question of whether or not anything is real, I do think that right. not only <laughs> not only is Willem Dafoe sort of a figment of Robert Pattinson's imagination, I think it's just Robert Pattinson actually. Like, and so like to me, the uh, the scrimshaw, like the idol itself, is that temptation of that temptation of self, like that first temptation because he takes it. And like later on in the movie, you see him jerking off to it. Like, but that's like, uh, it's interesting. Like if the movie starts, like they're having dinner and, uh, Willem Dafoe's drinking and he goes, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't, like, and he offers it to Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson says, I don't drink. Like, that's really kind of like the first temptation, but like this temptation he's already taken for himself is like the one that's tucked away. Like he doesn't want anyone to know about. It like factors in pretty heavily going yeah. forward, but like again, it's one of those like little pieces that Robert Eggers puts in this movie and locks away real quick, so that you just sort of like mm-hmm. don't think about it until later. And then again, like after the movie's done, you're like, why was that? Oh, maybe that was like this kind of thing. Like this is one of those great movies about like the conjecture of items and like artifacts within the film itself. It's pretty right. interesting. Yeah, I think. One of the things I noticed, too, that kind of put me in the headspace of what I was thinking about the idol is a lot of the movie, and it does this really good good moment, right? It's isolating these guys in really small, dark spaces. And I think a lot of the movie is the interlude between what we do in the light and what we do in the dark, right? right? So there's the scene where Robert Pattinson's, you know, changing shingles. He looks in, and Willem Dafoe, who thinks he's alone, is humping his bed, and he's being right, right. watched, right? There, there are a lot of moments like that where guys are, you know, hey, I'll do this, but someone is watching right. me. The camera might do a slow pan over, and you don't know if you're going to see someone like, I got that right. bitch, right? The slow unraveling of the trust and relationship and reality. And I think what the idol becomes, because the, the thing I found most fascinating about the movie is that it kind of asks us this very fundamental question. Is reality is only as we perceive it right that's all reality really is that we can prove we don't know what is real and what is not essentially and a lot of how we prove and decide that is because you know like i live in a neighborhood i have neighbors they have their perceptions of reality we bump into each other there are all these things right stoplights my kid's school going grocery shop there are all these things that make me feel like i am amongst a bunch of other people in a shared space right This movie has this kind of base level tear of here are two guys. And what if one of the guys starts saying, 
you're fucking nuts. And everything you think has not happened the way you think it is. Right. Right? And you're just out there on this exposed plane. And it becomes, because how would right. you know? Well, I'm, right? You would sit there and say, oh, well, then they also always say, right? The insane people don't know. So in a way, the mermaid, even though it's <laughs> it's it's a fantasy right. piece, right? And it becomes both, you know, this kind of like comfort item and sexual fantasy. Uh, there, it is something that pulls him away and gives right. him an anchor, because even a fantasy world is better than living in this world and his right. past life, right? Like the really fascinating scene with the mermaid. There's probably two like really good mermaid scenes. Once again, and one is when he's out like pushing the coal and he finds the body yeah. on the beach. That's a weird moment, right? Because it, it plays as it feels like he knows this mermaid more, right? Like maybe this was a girl he had yeah. known in the past because he doesn't just see it and be like, wow, a mermaid. He kind of does this slowly rubbing down the body that makes it feel intimate. And yeah, then he hits like, scales shit. and she wakes up screaming in his face, right? And he goes, ah, ah, and he <laughs> yeah. runs away. I think that tells you a lot about that that idol, right? He wants it to be this fantasy thing. But when are the times we see the mermaid, right? When he goes to the beach and he sees all the logs coming and a body floating, he goes underwater right. and sees a mermaid, right? Then he sees the mermaid, has a really creepy dead body rub. Next thing you know, she's screaming in his face. And then there's maybe one of the most visually satisfying <laughs> masturbatory montages of all time which is him jerking off to this mermaid a kind of weird fish vagina but then what we see mixed in are all of these kind of past yeah. sins and a spinning right. lighthouse so there's a lot to unpack there that i'm gonna let oh, you do thank all you very much i appreciate that <laughs> yeah i mean like that yeah. particular you mean that <laughs> unpack that particular uh fever dream he's having appreciate that um right yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, like this is to me like this is the part I actually really enjoyed because I I, can't, I think it was pretty much right after Willem Dafoe gives that like two minutes like the curse when he like bestows that the the yeah scene that the, we'll get to Dafoe I have a yeah, lot of like Defoe after stuff. that sea curse scene I actually paused the movie I'm like how much more of this is left and I was like holy shit there's another half hour of this movie I'm like that seemed like the yeah. end of the movie right there like the next morning he's gonna wake up and kill him right like that was like that was like but again, this is Robert Eggers being like really, really good. Like he's right. like, I think that's an intentionally torturous right. decision to make it feel like the movie has to be over like well, four I, times. I really liked that though. Like, and it's the first time I'll like actually yeah. give credit where credit's due doing that. I'm like, fuck you normally for doing something like that to like anyone watching yeah. this movie. But it was so cool because like, then you do get this like very weird fever dream where I guess to me, what it's about is um that's like the so th that is um is that after uh he finally kind of reveals who he really is i can't remember off the top of my head that is after the, after he right spills right the right beans. After, like, so the morning the next morning is like why well, just spill your beans so like he does that and then he has that's after that right it's like this weird sort of fever dream I think it actually might be before. I think okay, that's cool. kind of the beginning of the end of his right. like tether. So, because that's the important thing is the, the masturbatory fantasy right. ends in him throwing the right. idol in well, shame. And so like to me, and he like tries to stab at it and like get rid of it a little even further. Yeah. To me, that's also after they uh, get, you know, locked in. Basically, they get uh, abandoned into the 
in the keep by the nor'eastern like and then they go looking for more rations and the more rations is, is alcohol so these guys are now all getting wasted and like also <laughs> robert pattinson's actually kind of letting go and he's finally like you realize like the reason he wasn't drinking is simply because he's he's a drunk like he's a mean drunk he's a crazy drunk and that i think is also part of what encapsulates this weird dream sequence where this is finally him letting go of everything like everything like everything's starting to pour out which is also why he gets crazy enough to finally spill his beans and say hey i'm not actually this guy i'm actually this other guy and i fucking killed someone or let somebody die it's such a weird like moment but to me, that entire right. thing is about letting go and the unraveling of this character to get you to a place where you're going to accept the fact that there are like two extra endings in this movie that are so insane and fucked up, though, that you kind of are OK <laughs> with it and you're totally on board. Like, again, I was like, I can't believe right. there's another half hour of this movie. And then we got to the other half hour. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad it didn't stop exactly where I thought it was going to because that would have fucking sucked. Right. <laughs> Well, this is the thing, right? And this is what I kept pondering was, is again there, and I think that the false endings thing, right? Where you're like, this has to be about over, right? They do, they're like, don't worry, you made it. Say, like, help's coming tomorrow. It's not coming, right? <laughs> they just stand there and get buffeted by the rain. You're like, that's us too. We're just, please get me off of this island for the love of God. And, but what I think the idol is really funny is it, it made me think the two things, right? Is, one has he killed before his previous right. boss, right? Because he kind of plays it as I was a good guy and I didn't push him in. I sat there and watched, which I don't know that I believe by the end of this movie. And I think the trick is he always says after he watched that guy die, all he could say was I could use myself for right. smoke. Right. The same thing he does when we later see him commit right. another murder. And I think there might be like <laughs> a chain of crimes in his past. Right. That we're just not seeing and i think that's why the lighthouse appears yeah. in this fantasy and there's a real there's a real sense of you know you can't have light and dark separate from each other if you never saw light you wouldn't understand the concept that you're in the right. dark you know what i mean that you have to have those juxtaposed moments so i think what pattinson's character is doing a lot is it's this kind of myth building for him and i think the doll and the uh the alcohol are ways right this is the classic i love that part from willem dafoe he's like doldrums it's yeah. doldrums turns men eviler than devils like doldrums and what it is it's two guys or maybe one who just simply cannot face down the reality that they exist in so any little thing to take them out of there but as the movie goes long the more these kind of painfully obvious realizations keep yeah. coming and coming and coming no pun intended i don't think you can you know get away right. from that anymore so i i think i think the <laughs> the mermaids actually serve a bigger purpose than just kind of cool right. not oh, no imagery. totally and i mean i'd honestly say that actually the in general the fantasies that the fantasies that robert pattinson tries to experience to take him out of what he believes is like kind of I would say sort of like ends up being a pretty terrible situation. I I, I think right. that, yeah, they're actually much more, they're much more haunting because he's trying to escape this. Like what he's not doing is facing down this Nor'eastern, like, or even though he thinks he's doing a good job, like he's not doing better work or so on and so forth. Like, again, 
all of it goes into this sort of like weird psychosis of like trying to trying to manipulate the things around you to bring you some form of pleasure. But in, in actuality, like what you're doing is just constantly hobbling yourself, constantly hobbling yourself with the things that you believe will relieve your stress and in actuality, make it so much worse. Like again, like once, once the Nor'eastern hits, this movie just becomes a fever dream. And like that dream sequence is the beginning of it, but it like never really goes away because like, continuously right. weird and i think that's where the movie kind of really starts to take off because it is the concept of these guys that you know because they both have a similar trajectory even if they right. don't want to admit it where you know robert pattinson is a, or ephraim is just like you've been here so long you're not even a human anymore right right as he has a knife at willem defoe's throw right he's sitting there telling right. him he's not human defoe's like just get to fucking work later we find out <laughs> that Rob Pattinson is essentially just trying to run to the edge right. of the map to become a lighthouse keeper as far out as he can so he can save all this money and have this magical version of life. And I think you learn a lot about characters like that that want to live at the edge or beyond of a right. map. I mean, so, and that's the funny thing is what happens to guys like that when they can no longer run further, when you stick <laughs> them to the ground and say, you can't just go to the next place and start keep rewriting this. You have to fucking confront right. yourself. I think that's where the terror of this movie well, is. Well, yeah, really and palpable. I mean, like, I would say again, this goes back to there's a couple of like visual cues to me that I'm like, I don't think it's that obvious, but it is very interesting that make me think that Robert Pattinson is probably actually alone or not even there because one Pattinson tells that story. And then Willem Dafoe literally says, like, yeah, maybe you're there right now anyways. And you're just some weird fucking idiot muttering to yourself while you're walking through Kennedy. And that I'm yeah. like, interesting. And then at one point. <laughs> well, he even says he's like, perhaps I'm a right. figment of your ima ye imagination. Well, I don't know if you know. Which that that makes me think that it's right. not right. Because well, he's that's calling the thing. it out like, so There's a lot of moments that I'm like, because that's what I thought, too. I'm like, God, that's like really specific. And I'm not sure that's like the way to really view that. But then there's another visual thing right. that I was actually kind of tuned up to, which was there's a scene where they actually switch smoking apparatuses and Robert Pattinson has the pipe and he's smoking the cigarette at one point. I can't remember what scene it is, but I was like, oh, that's like late enough in this movie where maybe there is just one guy or maybe this isn't really happening. He's literally having this conversation with himself while he's like slowly freezing to death in Canada. Right. Like. There's a really specific there's – there's a couple really specific things that seem very obvious and a little on the nose. But, again, Robert Eggers seems like the kind of director who either would do that completely on purpose to fuck with people or not do that on purpose at all and just make you want to think that the whole time. It's very interesting. Right. So the, the Willem Dafoe character, right, Tom, there, there are a couple red flags to me that – Make me think there's something extra right. going on, right? One, the fact that his name is Tom yeah. Wiki, right? The same name as Ephraim, his real name, and the job they're both trying to do, right? Seems a little spot on before he knows <laughs> right. that the guy's name right. is Tom, right? Uh, the kind of drinking and the, the weird, the drunken talks that they have with themselves, I think are very, I think there's a lot of fertile ground there where you can, see that as people talking to themselves right there's a great moment at the end where 
we see earlier he tries to give the toast, right? The may the sea make our right, beds, right. whatever he says whenever they drink. He doesn't know it. A split second after popping Willem Dafoe's head in half, he knows the fucking speech right. spot on. Exactly spot on. So there are like five or six moments of kind of trans transportation like that. The other thing I had pondered, right? There are kind of two more elements to this that make me question Willem Dafoe. Or three, I should say. When they find the head in the lobster pod. Right. Right? That, to me, was a clue. What if there really was a head there? And also, the way Willem Dafoe... Because you remember what launches him into the most epic fucking curse monologue of all time. No. The lobster. When Robert Pattinson's like, I won't say yeah. I like your lobster. And he just goes, damn ye! It was like, so Charlton Heston, but way better. Damn ye for not liking me lobster. <coughs> and then where was a lookalike of his right. head found? The fucking lobster pot. So what if this, because this is the other thing. I'm, I'm really going like red string here for a minute. The start of the movie, we see two other wikis leaving right. the island, which makes you think they do right. come in pairs. So maybe those two arrive together as we think. What happens is he kills Willem Dafoe earlier in the film than we think. Willem Dafoe even says that. He's like, oh, they're coming tomorrow. I thought you would have split me right. head open already. And I have a theory for where that moment happens. So the lobster pod and all that is his guilt over what he's done to this guy. He's writing the logbook about this shitty fucking right. assistant, right, to backtrack later. As he starts to lose his mind, he can't remember right. what's what. There's also the fact that Willem Dafoe's character is constantly doing something and then telling Robert Pattinson's character right. that he did it. For example, you sunk the axe or you sunk an axe into the lifeboat and you chased right. me with an axe when we the audience just right. saw him do that. Does any no, of that make sense? Actually, I'm glad it? you bring this up cuz I was when we were watching the when I was watching the movie I'm like I actually played it back again. I'm like maybe I missed something real quick cuz like, you know, I obviously I have a kid in my hand. I'm like maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I'm not strongly yeah. paying attention the way I should. And I literally rewound. I'm like, no, I, I, I saw what I saw, which again, though, like what I love is I, I was like, well, I saw what I saw. And I'm like, that's totally what fucking Robert Pattinson would say right now. Or that's totally what fucking Willem Dafoe. I saw what you <laughs> saw. I, I, right. I saw what I saw. Like, that's the kind of stuff. Again, right. like, I, I, I agree, though, 100%. There's all these, there's a lot of visual cues. There's a lot of verbal cues too like again i i think the song is probably the strongest evidence that there's something not quite right about willem dafoe's character like and even though they might come in pairs that also again we're also with two very unreliable narrators so that could be anything at that point like right i, I don't know it's interesting <laughs> my final piece of evidence in the case where Robert Pattinson kills him early and is trying to defend himself later, right? I think the fever dreams kind of help. I yeah, think it's the totally. fucking seagull. seagull? I think yeah. that's I the dead giveaway, it. Yeah. right? Right. So the first thing we see, Robert Pattinson can't get to one of his, you know, little huts he needs to work in because the right. seagull won't move. At dinner, Willem Dafoe, right? Tom says, I don't be messing with them goals. It's bad luck. To which Ephraim replies, Another tall tale. Willem Dafoe yeah. bitch slaps him out of nowhere. 
And I think that's a wildly important decision, right? Because this is a guy, a salty dog, who's been out here for a long time, seen a lot of shit, right? He knows about the doldrums already. He's explained it to us. He said his last keeper went insane. Why on earth would you smack the fuck out of the new guy and set him on a course to murder you over a fucking seagull? Well, and I guess the defense against that would be that the seagull and the mythology of the sea, right? The extra like caricature of being a seaman is Willem Dafoe's version of the mermaid, right? It's something to hang on to. But there's a shot in the movie that I think gives us away. One, when Robert Pattinson is restless and you see the seagull on the right. those windowsill. The next is he finds the seagull dead mm-hmm. in the shitter. Another seagull comes and starts yeah. fucking with him. Bad, right? He fucking beats the shit yeah. out of that seagull. In one of the most all-time, like, PETA-triggering PETA moments in movie history, he fucking bashes it's, that yeah, seagull it's not to like, bits. It's fucking brutal, man. Like, it's... Right. And then the camera pans to the lighthouse shaft and goes all the way up. And all we see is that the winds have changed. Right? I think in the moment when he kills that seagull, right, which we learn later are the vessels of, like, the the dead seamen, right? I think that's where he kills the Willem Dafoe character. Okay. You know what? That's what I think that is. I feel like I I would actually go with that also because... Um, the cisterns filled with blood and yeah and again like the night before it didn't taste right he goes i the cistern don't taste right still like that's the kind of thing again it's like this constant and then he finally like buckles and starts drinking right and there's another seagull moment i forgot when he fucking drops him from the lighthouse yeah I believe that's the exact same bad leg no, that it Willem is. Dafoe exhibits totally for the is. rest of the, the movie the leg is the- and he has a seagull ripping the fucking like a ripping a hole well, in that also, leg. I mean, there's like this obvious like him. Prometheus thing going on. There's some yeah. obvious Promethean mythology happening at that at that ending shot. Right. But I thought that too. Like as soon as he broke the leg, I'm like, uh, okay, I think that's. But no, that's the thing. He didn't. He just walked away like nothing had happened. You're like, yeah, right. You're fucking hurt if you fall off that light tower. What at the end? When he's whitewashing the tower yeah. and he falls. Robert Pattinson doesn't suffer. Oh an injury, no, I was like talking about the injury. ending. I meant the ending when he when he broke his leg. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying in that moment, I think again that's another visual cue that maybe this is the soul, right? The departed soul of this, uh, you know, other guy that was on the island. And so I think Robert Pattinson's a guy that everywhere he goes, and the other kind of verbal cue that I kept noting is. He's like, you talk to me exactly like my last boss right. did. Then in a way, Robert Pattinson may be some form of early serial killer who just keeps trying to fit in, but he just can't take it. He can't make it. So whenever someone pushes him too far, he gets right. him, right? And I think the overly, your dog, your lion, salty dog, is the exact same way the last guy talked to him, but he was a logger. And this guy's like a wiki, right? And we talk a lot about the differences in a couple scenes. I think there's a cue in there, and I, I, I would tie it to the, the seagull, right? And that lobster pod, right? And the lobster curse. I think those are all kind of hinting at there was foul play. And then the beating, the seagull immediately causing right. the curse, right? That breaks the reality of this island apart. 
that is my theory on the movie is that Willem Dafoe then becomes more of this kind of ghost haunting Robert Pattinson. And the what scene to me is one of those like, oh, there's something really going on here. I mean, like (laughs) it's one of the more iconic scenes of the year to me. What? What? Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, and that's like I love that because that must have read like the worst scene on page. But the director and the actors knew exactly what the right. fuck was happening, and just you know, in- nail it. That's a beautiful it's iconic. I was actually scene. reading a little bit about the prep for this movie, and um, they rehearsed for like a week at this hotel in Nova Scotia. And uh, apparently, Robert Pattinson does not like to rehearse a lot, like um, because Willem Dafoe comes from a theater background. His rehearsal of the time is very important to him. Robert Pattinson likes to kind of just react, so. He was like super uncomfortable and everything. So when they got to set, like it was interesting because like when they got to set, apparently Robert Pattinson was very solid, solitary, and it was Willem Dafoe was like very with the crew, but like also very weird, like kind of staying in, kind of staying in character and that kind of thing. But it's but like, can you character. imagine doing that scene? Because it's you know I agree, like that's like takes so much trust between like actors and directors to do that scene. Can you imagine doing that with someone you hadn't really rehearsed it with? And you just sort of have to like, that's like one of those great improv exercises, you know? Cause I was sitting there yeah. thinking, I'm like, what are they actually saying? Like there is like crazy subtextual meaning here. And then when you think about it in the bigger scope of the movie, which is simply that Robert Pattinson is either a, not there or just Willem Dafoe's not real. The more you think about it, the more you realize like him yelling at himself, what kind of takes on this whole other meaning of simply like, that's like 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 that's the tipping point over like I'm moving into this next phase of this insane right. senility where I actually just believe that you know what I'm doing like Robert Pattinson trying to get off the get off the island again and like like you were saying Willem Dafoe was like oh you came at me you ruined the ship like that kind of thing like this like slow descent into madness between the two of them really is Robert Pattinson's descent into madness himself and like trying to yeah trying to mask it and trying to mask it to himself in some way too it's kind of interesting right yeah and i think you see that too because then defoe becomes this kind of lightning rod character for the rest of the movie where we see him as naked poseidon his eyes reflecting the light of the light tower right he's taking on the curse later when him and robert pattinson have their actual attack right he looks out they're fighting and they're lobbing these really pointed insults at what they right. hate about each other, which sound like they're insulting their own character. And so then he takes him over and they're fighting. He starts seeing the victims pass. He sees, you know, uh, the real Ephraim right. Winslow. He sees the mermaid. He sees Willem Dafoe as Poseidon with these Kraken tentacles. Yeah. Right. This kind of well, larger no, than life like, nautical myth. Poseidon. Yeah, and and so he sees this nautical myth, and that's when he starts pounding his right. face open. And Willem Dafoe just immediately, you're killing me. He's killing the fucking myth that he created in a way. And then he, and then it gets real weird, where he's like, bark, bark. You know, and if, that, if Willem Dafoe's not actually there, and he's just reacting to this part of himself that feels like a dog because people called him that, that's insanity. Yeah. Dog walks his ass out to a shallow grave and then buries them as he monologues again. This great nautical <laughs> monologuing. 
it's really fascinating because he leaves him dead. He gets the keys, and then the guy comes back and still swings yeah. an axe at him. There's just a lot happening that feels unreal. Untrue, I should say, yeah. right? It feels like there's a layer of untruth on every single thing we see for the oh, last totally. hour. I mean, like, so. that, but that's, like, half of the – that's half the fun. Once you're done watching the movie, you kind of sit there and, like, you're like, okay – this was probably not real, but like, what was it supposed to be? And what is like the actual, again, yeah. like I really think the unlock of the whole thing, besides like all the little visual cues we have is that ending shot. Like when you see this sort of weird, because the ending shots basically just Promethean, like the Promethean myth. It's the man who stole fire from the gods and his punishment is to be laid out on a rock for all of eternity and have his insides pecked out. So like when you get to that final shot of Robert Pattinson literally sitting on the rocks, his insides and his eyeball being pecked out. You look at it and you wonder, like, what is it about? What is it? Because it can't just be. And that's like the th crazy thing, though, is like and I wanted to get your take. Like, it can't just be about the myth of like, you know, a man stealing from the gods. Like, that's too that's too like right. mundane and kind of weird. Well, what do you think the actual yeah. point of? What was the actual point of, like, sticking a guy on a lighthouse and letting him go slowly insane? Like, for us, what are we trying to convey to the audience here, metaphorically? Right. And I think that becomes the question, too, is what is the lighthouse, you know, total right. in this movie? There is this kind of locked room where Willem Dafoe goes up there and lays himself bare, right, Nate? He even refers to it as the best mm -hmm. wife he ever had. <laughs> There's a really strange scene where... He drips tentacle oh. ooze down on Robert Pattinson, and there's a tentacle scene. It seems very sexual yeah. in nature. Uh, you know, I, was like, I feel like there's more that I'm supposed to get out of that other than just jerking a lot off of jerking to the off light. This movie. Yeah. And, you know, hey, you're on an <laughs> island all by yourself. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, huh? So uh, I understand that, but the last shot is different, right? So he's killed the guy, gets the keys. He gets hit with an axe. Uses the axe to split open fucking Tom Wickie's head. Has himself a smoke. And instead of trying to tend to himself or whatever, he desperately wants to get to that light. Throughout the movie, Robert Pattinson desperately trying to get right. to the light. It's a constant bone of contention, right? You know, you're trying to right. hoard it for yourself. It's, what, what does that mean? Because from his room, he can see the light. He can stand right. right under the light. What is it in there that he wants? And I think the stairwell, especially the last shot, establishes there is this. Because the whole island to me has a very purgatory vibe. You know, like this is and not like a lost purgatory, right? This is like a purgatory of the senses, right? This false narrative yeah. of themselves. So maybe that's I guess that's the question, because the light pauses in a supernatural manner, right. seemingly. And opens up to him. What is he seeing? Because now that the glass is open, you would imagine it's not a reflection. But perhaps it's the light is because, again, so much of the movie for Robert Pattinson happens. What he's doing alone in darkened rooms, the light washing over him lays bare in a very plain and simple way what he truly is at this point. There's no more Thomas no. Wiki. There's no more Mermaid Idol. There's just a man covered in blood right. again. And then as he falls down the stairs, again, this kind of gets into that. I felt like this was him being judged at the gates and falling down totally. to the pit of hell. Which, again, I thought was maybe uh, – that might be a little spot on. But 
you know, I think it works. Like, it, it, you know, seeing him reach the, the light that he wanted only to be cast back I mean, and then eaten for all eternity by right. the seagulls is, is kind of a fitting in for this not great character right. that we follow. I mean, to me, movie. there's so many there's so many stories in there's so many stories in fiction and in general and like lore and mythology about flying too close to the sun, reaching the heights of the gods and not knowing the power it really is. I mean, you know, it's even in pop culture. Like I think about every, like, honestly, the first thing I thought of when he opens was like, uh, Raiders, of the lost Ark. like, you know, that some, some yeah. stuff mortals are not supposed to see. It's like kind of the same thing to me. Right. So, yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? Is you know, the light is meant to keep ships from danger. There's all these kind of metaphors for what the light is. And I think what the light always represents in a story is truth. When you bathe something in light, it is cleansed and right. laid bare. You know, and I think this is the moment in the movie that maybe the Willem Dafoe attack where he's like you always, you know, set your life around bitching about the silver spoon you never had rather than doing good, ye dog. Or <laughs> And it's that that might be the indictment he has of himself is he thinks he's one thing. He thinks he should be more. And here he is again, having murdered right. again, totally. right at this job. And so, you know, that I do think there's a bit of that heaven and hell mythology. But I think the important part is whatever kind of metaphor you take from it, which I think there's a lot. It's about it's a moment for us, the audience to lose all the games and just stare at Rob Pattinson. And he does not look like a happy, well man in that moment. Not at all. He looks like he's totally being ripped apart. And then he's thrown down the stairs and onto the beach for seagulls to eat. So I think that's the important thing to take. Cause there's a lot of different ways to look at that, but this is a man who cannot hide any longer. And I think that's a really lovely ending. I think so too. I mean, it's, it's a fitting ending for a movie that is like really weird and uncomfortable for a lot of the, uh, and again, like it's such a great, it's like, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure I would characterize it as mismarketing. I think the problem is, is like this movie does not fit properly in a box. There's no specific genre to this movie because like there are some horror elements. There's some strange things. Again, I think this might be our third murder person movie that we've done on this podcast. Secret favorite yeah. subgenre. I gotta tell you, uh, but like <laughs> that, like to me, like imagine being in a marketing person and being like, "Well, there's mermaids, and it's by the guy who did The Witch," and like I don't know, and like, oh, let's yeah. just pretend it's a horror movie or something like that. But really, it's like this weird sort right. of tragic comedy almost because it's. Wait, yeah, it plays something like remember that movie Dog yeah, Bill no, that came it's out exactly like that. It's like how the fuck do you totally. market that movie? That, yeah. Right. And so that they, they, the trailer is all tentacles and shady up close. Oh, we're going to murder and do create. But and that's not what it is. It really is just watching these two master actors just fucking have yeah. a blast diving to the depths under the watchful eye of a really in control director. I mean, it. and I don't know how you sell that in a really sexy manner <laughs> to the masses. And I think that's why I didn't go yeah. out to the masses. But I I would not be shocked if in like ten years this is a cult midnight oh, screening. Oh yeah, I mean all this is definitely place. got this got this has midnight screening written all over it. Like there's no way people after seeing this movie don't walk around like why just spill your beans. That is like, yeah. And you'll oh, by the way when he said spill your beans and he wasn't there and then the spill your beans yep. came in the God voice, 
more evident. But this is what I like. I feel like I have come up with my theory of the movie and will never be able to convince someone that doesn't agree with me. The best laid arguments and thoughts I can have will never work because this movie allows you to constantly rewrite it. I mean, it's... And I don't always love that in a movie, but I think for this type, with these two actors that both deliver soul-crushing performances, I mean, it is... It is impossible to take your eyes off of those two when they're doing it, right? When they're talking or Willem Dafoe is monologuing, it is impossible to wrench your eyes from the screen. It's amazing. I mean, you know, I just, I think that kind of playground is fun, man. I like the kind of gothic nautical imagery. You know, I, this movie I feel is so tailored to me. I, I don't want to pretend that I'm just this biased observer. But I really do think that if you're an audience member who can kind of sit with a movie, right? If you're the kind of person that likes to ply a lot of thought onto a movie after the fact, I just don't see how this one can miss for you. I mean, this is exactly what people this is exactly what people ask for when they're like, I just I don't want things spoon fed to me. Here you go. Enjoy this. Right. Yeah. Actually yeah. nothing is spoon fed. In fact, to things <laughs> Yeah, maybe pour down your gullet to get you that's, drunk, but that's yeah. it. Imagine that's this it. is a carafe of kerosene that you're drinking. That's exactly what this movie is. Right. I'm just so sick of your goddamn farts! Should, One of the greatest lines in cinema. death and treble dread. Make the ocean caves our bed. God who hears the surges roll, <laughs> deign to save our supply and soul. Yeah. It's funny, I wish I knew the entire like oh, curse man. monologue. Because I would love to drop that, like, at a bar, right? Like, if I'm defeated in bar trivia, I just stand and, God damn, hark, Triton, hark! And just do that for the whole bar, and everyone's like, right that on, guy's cool. Right that guy's IMDb, really cool. Man, go for it. Yeah, but that's what I mean. The line from this movie that's already been said in my house a hundred times, your thoughts, <laughs> I'm sick of your goddamn thoughts. Oh, God. We're not the we're not as artsy as this podcast might lead you no, to believe not. in the Griffey household. We love that yeah. line. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it uh, for the lighthouse. I hope you guys found a lot of fun stuff in the dark, man. You know, and maybe we pulled you up to the top of the lighthouse for our tentacle uh, self pleasurement party. As always, leave a rating and review, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Find us on YouTube, the Nerd Alchemist. That's plural at the end. Share this on your social media. Uh, and stay tuned. We're talking about Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> That'll be the end of 2019 official. We're starting 2020 off with a bang, right? We're going to be shaking our bacon. So all next oh, month, yeah. Kevin Bacon movies, which, by the way, Kevin Bacon enters the list with John Lithgow and Peter Weller in most underappreciated IMDb pages uh, on this show. It was really hard to get to five, but I think we have some amazing awesome. choices. So that'll start next month. Stay tuned for Jojo Rabbit. Stay here for Kevin Bacon. We'll see you guys uh, in a minute.